Hey everybody, Will Brink here, BrinkZone.com. I uh, want to cover a couple of topics today that keep popping up, um, which is NAC, N-acetylcysteine, and the status of N-acetylcysteine and natural immunity, which is the sort of the new buzz term that seems to be getting thrown around a lot. Um, and I, I think people using using it in some respects either don't really understand how it applies um, to COVID or what it actually entails. And I think they may be using it interchangeably with um, two different types of natural immunity. At least that's that's how it's coming across to me. I'm gonna try to keep this video on the shorter side because my recent videos have been really pretty long. And what I'll do is just post uh, a lot of resources underneath this video for people that really want to get into it. So I'm gonna try to summarize it um, to the point where it's you know useful and then you can uh, look underneath uh, the studies, the articles, uh, videos I'm going to post. So let's get the uh, the first one out of the way, uh, the easy one out of the way faster, which is NAC, which is N-acetylcysteine. Now, for people that don't know what N-acetylcysteine is, it is a precursor to the production of glutathione. Glutathione is essential for uh, dealing with uh, viral infections, general health, honestly, uh, oxidative stress, immune system, and so forth. It's uh, uh, immensely an important um, molecule in your body, of which I have written about for 20 plus, almost 30 years. Um, I did a recent uh, video with Dr. Gutman where we also discussed glutathione, uh, whey, and NAC. So I won't go into great detail on NAC, but for those that are here that, you know, will probably know what NAC is and want a sense of NAC uh, as it applies to um, what the status is of NAC. So what I'm seeing a lot of uh, online in general, some YouTube videos, uh, various posts, comments, and some videos from people and some people that honestly you should know better. That is some people that are, you know, at least connected to the industry in one way or another, that NAC is banned and banned by the, the FDA for sale. And that is wrong. Uh, if you hear a little frustration in my voice, uh, I, I'll be honest with you. I am feeling a little frustrated uh, about that. And the next topic we're going to cover because um, it's getting <clears throat> it's getting a little difficult to get through the um, <clears throat> signal to noise on this topic. So, what is the status of NAC? As far as I know, which is as of now, um, NAC has not been banned for sale. So, why do every why do people think that? So, the the backstory to that is that the FDA sent a handful of letters to a handful of companies that were selling NAC as a hangover cure. Uh, of which uh, it actually is a, something beneficial to take uh, for prevention of hangovers, or at least the damage that hangovers can do. Again, back to glutathione, alcohol can deplete the uh, liver of glutathione and so forth. So the FDA sent some letters to these companies saying that they were making uh, medical claims, uh, structure function claims, it's called, and telling them to cease and desist doing that. But within those letters, they also mentioned that from their perspective, uh, that NAC was not a dietary supplement, that they viewed NAC as a drug. And that is based on a 1963, uh, I believe, drug application. Yes, that 1963 uh, is how far the FDA decided to, uh, out of the blue, uh, pull that out and, and decide they were going to even you know mention this. And that, for whatever reason, um, set people off to immediately making major claims that the FDA had officially banned the sale of NAC. 
which is not true. So the FDA, as far as I know, uh, and I, I did ask a couple of people I know that own supplement companies, big supplement companies. Uh, one of them is a $200 million a year supplement company with a team of lawyers. The other is a smaller company in the $50 million range, one lawyer. Uh, what, you know, if he, if they knew of anything, you know, new status wise, uh, and they said no, that as far as they knew, um, the FDA was examining their position, as you'd expect the, the industry, um, you know, got uh, immobilized and, and uh, went, you know, wasn't going to wait around for the FDA to, to uh, follow up on their, their position of it being a drug. And I will post a, an article below on that too, which kind of gives a nice uh, um, overview of that. But the, the FDA having taken the position they view NAC as a drug does not mean that the FDA has taken any enforcement actions to remove NAC from the market. You, I mean, I, I guess I have to say it's, uh, it's like, does anybody get out of their house and go into a health food store? Because you can still find NAC on the shelves, people. Uh, I ordered some NAC, you know, uh, the other day from uh, Life Extension. Now, NAC is heavily backordered and hard to find these days, and that is due to a few obvious reasons. One is that people are now hearing about NAC as something that could be very beneficial uh, with COVID. I also suspect that that may be why it has come on the FDA's radar a bit. Um, Two, uh, I think, again, people feeling and scrambling that maybe it's going to get removed from the market and they won't be able to get it anymore or perhaps buying extra and stocking up, uh, understandable. But let me be clear that the FDA, as far as I know, uh, has made no actual actions to, to remove uh, NAC from the shelves. So NAC is not banned. It's just that the current position the FDA takes uh, is that it is a drug. Now, that doesn't mean the FDA is not going to try to do that. Uh, I would not let our guard down at all. And I think that it's really important that the industry uh, is especially aggressive uh, because for one thing, there's, there is absolutely no uh, serious side effects to, to NAC. I mean, not that you have to take an awful lot of it. And the worst of it, again, is things like, you know, stomach upset uh, and that type of thing. Um, NAC used as for other that is not orally ingested, i.e. Uh, IV, of which it can be very effective. Uh, there is also uh, a, um, uh, for asthmatics it can be used and so forth, is considered a drug and needed prescription for it, which uh, I think is kind of ridiculous, but another topic. So right now, as far as I know, uh, the FDA is reading up on, you know, their position, what their future position is going to be. Uh, obviously, you know, talking with the industry, uh, CRN and so forth uh, as to what they plan to do. And I think at the moment um, I wouldn't panic, but I would certainly keep it in mind. Uh, as far as the importance of NAC and and, uh, and uh, glutathione, so again, um, I'm going to post a, an important article below which uh, outlines why NAC and whey even may perhaps more so uh, is so invaluable to um, the the uh, benefits or, or the importance of, of reducing serious side effects, illness, and so forth of uh, COVID and uh, honestly, any um, uh, viral uh, infections, but it may be particularly important with COVID. So that's that. Hopefully that's that. Um, you can leave comments and questions below, but uh, that, that I hope clarifies it for people because it's getting a little frustrated. And I, I have gotten, um, I have to admit, uh, I got a little 
short with some people online who were acting as if they, they knew it all uh, and cut and paste a couple of things, quote unquote, proving uh, that NAC had been taken off the market and banned and so forth. And honestly, I, 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 I got a little short because honestly, um, uh, well, my, my, temp, my, uh, my patience these days is running a little short because like a lot of people, I'm, I'm busy. Uh, I'm trying to uh, get out good information that helps people. Uh, I'm trying to uh, run a new show and so forth. Okay, so that's NAC, and the next topic is a bit more, a little more in depth, a little more complicated, and I will try to not go into great depth about it uh, and summarize. Natural immunity. This seems to be, like I say, the the buzz term, and there's, and I think people are interchanging two types of natural immunity. So there's natural immunity that one derives from getting getting COVID i.e. having antibodies, um, somewhat protective antibodies from COVID uh, after having uh, having COVID, hey, you, you know, getting infected. And that's one form of, of natural immunity that's being discussed and being um, thrown around a bit. Again, I'm not sure if people fully under appreciate, understand it, but I, I hear it a lot. And the other type, of course, is just your immune system. What is your natural ability, your natural immune system strength and ability to resist? Um, COVID or, or dealing with, again, anything, but we're, we're on a COVID, you know, trip these days because we're kind of stuck in the middle of COVID. So I, to me, I just find people are using them. They seem to be using them interchangeably. You know, why aren't we talking about our natural immune system? Why aren't they talking about natural immunity? Um, I'm not even sure who they are that, that, you know, who is they uh, FDA, uh, CDC, NIH, FBI, uh, BBC, uh, MSNBC, I'm not completely sure, but people keep saying they are not talking about, uh, and they uh, have not done a great job of talking about a lot of things, right? We all know that. So uh, we all can agree no matter where we stand, the, the messaging, the general messaging since day one has been God awful. Um, but that's another topic. So let's talk about the first one, which I mentioned, which is naturally derived immunity from being exposed to COVID. This is a this is not an easy topic to go into, you know, without taking up a lot of time. And so I'm going to try to summarize this. So you people that are maybe, you know, have been following data and, and have a science background are going to have to cut me a little slack here. Um, but I'm going to try to summarize this as best I can. So one problem with COVID is that if you read a paper last week uh, on COVID uh, vaccines, natural immunity, whatever, it's changed this week. And I, I kid you not. Um, so natural immunity, the papers that have been coming out are very, uh, positive about natural immunity derived from getting COVID as far as it being protective of, um, getting reinfected. And if you get reinfected, having serious complications and so forth, uh, they've been generally pretty positive, uh, and they vary. Now, of course, people have locked on like, like, uh, pit bulls in a pit bull fight onto that Israeli study suggesting that that natural immunity is is considerably more uh, uh, robust and lasting longer than vaccine. Uh, but it's there are a number of studies uh, and it ranges quite a bit. But I, I think the studies are, are pretty clear that natural derived immunity appears to be uh, quite protective. Uh, and it should be that that doesn't come as a big surprise. But here's the thing. Uh, again, you should not lock on to that as as firmly as people may be doing as, as locked in, that data will continue to um, 
come out. Uh, it will continue to come out uh, as from a, uh, a original alpha versus delta. Um, there's a number of big moving parts going on there. So from a, a, an epidemiological perspective, that looks very promising. But when you get down under, in the hood, and these are just what they call serological uh, positive people. That is, they've just been tested uh, with non-specific tests that just show they were exposed to COVID at some point. They're not going down into, at least in these large-scale studies, uh, into the more uh, objective, uh, um, specific testing. That is, uh, type, types of antibodies, you know, uh, uh, memory B cells, type T cells, and so forth. Uh, that's a big deal. Uh, I, I think that we're obviously we're so very positive about that. But I also think that there's some something missing here. Now, I'll tell you from my personal perspective, I know a handful of people that had COVID uh, in 2020. They tested seropositive for COVID. They got Delta and they got very ill. Um, one of them almost died. Uh, and one, and I, will, I did a whole video on his situation. He's very well known in the industry. His name is Bill Phillips. And I will put his video out, but he's not the only one. I know, I know a fair number of people at this point that every single one of them who had this experience, like I say, uh, thought they were all set, thought the natural immunity would cover them. Not only did they get sick, they got really sick. Now, that is odd because they shouldn't, as the studies suggest that, okay, even if you get it a second time, it should be less intense, similar to uh, um, having vaccines. And at least some of the, the real world experiences that I've seen, this is not the case. Now, I do posit a uh, explanation for that in the other video. I'm not sure exactly why that is. I think that actually has more to do with human behavior than actual physiological, you know, difference. Um, that's my that's my thought, and I do cover that in the other video on what I think is going on. But having said that, uh, now. And that's not just people I know. They're not my little small circle. Remember, you know, I, I've got a lot of people follow me on Facebook and, and communicate with me email. And I see this quite a bit. And this has been a pretty consistent um, comment. That is, I had COVID, um, you know, 2020. I tested uh, seropositive for it at some point. Thought I was good to go. And, uh, you know, if I had known the second round was going to be that bad, um, I would have gotten I would have gotten vaccinated. So, my personal experience uh, and what I'm seeing is that either by sheer coincidence, I just happen to know a group of really, really uh, um, rare people, uh, um, statistically really rare people, or it's a lot more common than maybe the data suggests. Again, I don't know the answer to that. I tend to think honestly that it's more common than the data suggests versus I just happen to know these the incredibly rare people that um, the second time they got, you know, COVID, uh, it was really bad, and uh, they had uh, regretted not not getting vaccinated, and and so forth. So I don't again don't know the answer. I'm not claiming uh, you know that 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 is that is subjective anecdotal information. That's not science. However, uh, I think we are all doing our best to to balance the science that gets published, which, as we all know, also you know has a tendency uh, to bounce around a bit. Uh, there, I mean, there's consistencies in there. It's not like Every other day, it's a 180 turn, uh, no matter what people keep you know, saying. Oh, they keep changing their mind. They don't keep changing their mind, but we are dealing with what is referred to as a novel virus. I think people may need to go look up what the term novel means because it means we they don't know that much. Uh, they don't start it out. They don't know much of anything about it other than the family of viruses it came from. So that's going to change. 
uh, and things keep changing. And I will tell you that it's at this point, there's so much data coming out that it is literally week to week. Uh, I kid you not. Uh, and it, which is difficult. I mean, I have all day to do this stuff and can read studies, which I literally do. Um, you know, a lot of people, most people either don't uh, or either, you know, just don't have the science medical background for it, or they're too busy working and trying to keep people from, you know, uh, dying from COVID and so forth. So there's not a lot of people that are, you know, actually able to uh, spend most of their time trying to, you know, able to read these studies. So my point on the natural immunity is uh, obviously it's a thing. Um, I do think that it should be used uh, as part of our national uh, approach and strategy to, you know, um, who we should who we should focus on getting um, vaccinated and who we should not. Uh, I do not think in my experience and the the data uh, still is not that clear uh, as far as um, how robust is natural immunity. That is again just because you show zero positive. All that says is that you were exposed at one time. It does not tell you how robust your response was. It does not tell you, you know, where you're at with your response or, or is your, you know, immune competency or your your long-term uh, um, uh, memory B cells, you know, up to the task. It doesn't tell you really that much. Now, on a large-scale population-wide study, it, it, the studies are suggested that those who show seropositive have some excellent protection. And I'm not ignoring that. And I think we should use it to our advantage. But I would say on an individual level, you know, from somebody watching this video, I would not say, look, I already had COVID. I'm seropositive. I'm not going to worry about it because I think that's a big mistake. And I will tell you that from my own uh, experiences, seeing what I'm seeing, uh, like I say, either I know a group of really rare people, which I don't think is the case, or um, from an individual perspective, you definitely don't want to ignore the fact that um, you are not totally protected. The recommendation for people that have had COVID in the past that would like to maximize their protection is to get it probably at least one of the two shot protocols. That will probably, uh, that's probably the best of both of both worlds. Now, finally, before we move on to the other uh, natural immunity, which is your own, you haven't had COVID, but we're, you know, why aren't we talking about people boosting their natural immunity to, to, to protect themselves, to defend themselves against, you know, it being more than just, you know, a bad cold and getting really sick. So the, the final point I'd like to make on that is there seems to be one really important point missing that people aren't appreciating as far as immune uh, derived natural immunity, which is you have to get COVID. Uh, I, I feel like that point is kind of being missed that remember to have that happen, you have to get COVID. You have to then be exposed to COVID. You have to take that, the risk. Um, and, you know, and, and if you have a mild case or just, you know, just like a bad flu or whatever type case, which is most people remember that is most people. Uh, I think that number is a lot uh, lower with Delta and those data, that data will be coming out. But anyway, um, I think a major point crux of this that a lot of people are missing is that to have that natural immunity uh, and go on with your life means you have to have COVID. And I will tell you that a lot of people, most people, for example, that are jumping all over that, that Israeli study have not read the study. 
raise your hand if you've actually read that study. Not, not a headline, not an article summarizing it, not a talking head, but if you read that study, okay? Okay, I've read the study. The author of the study, and it's very clear they do not recommend that strategy. That is, even if they're, if, if natural immunity has a, a greater protection, they do not recommend the strategy of, of, of ignoring um, vaccines and getting COVID to, to earn that because statistically speaking, it's, it's a much riskier thing to do. Uh, I don't think that's rocket science, but anyway, I just think that point is being missed. Two, I will post uh, below, uh, if I can find it, there was actually an interview with that researcher, an Israeli researcher who posted that. There's a nice uh, interview that somebody else did, uh, a lady doctor, I forget her name, but I'll, I'll try to post that for you. In his own words, what he thinks of the data that he generated and what his thoughts are on natural immunity. So don't take other people's words or talking heads or whatever. Maybe we should listen to the researcher who actually discovered it or, or you know, found that. Uh, th that study is replicated. I, I personally don't tend to think that natural immunity is that much more effective than vaccinated immunity. But again, you're talking about time. You're talking about waning immunity as time, natural or otherwise. You know, it does wane uh, and does change. There's a lot of moving parts there. Uh, the age of the people in the study, comorbidities that one group might have had, the other didn't have, and on and on it goes. You, you cannot just make giant leaps of faith. So that's my main point on the uh, natural immunity, which is uh, even if it's as good or superior, whatever you remember, you do have to go get COVID to, you know, to do that. Um, the, the recommendation is that as far as the best protection is concerned, the reverse is probably the best route, which we're all going to experience whether you like it or not. That is people that have been vaccinated who are then exposed to, uh, COVID and have, you know, a mild breakthrough type infection who then generate, uh, some additional, um, protection, which is more of a general protection uh, versus a, a specific protection from the vaccines, probably your best, the best of all your protection. Uh, it is not recommended to do it in reverse, which is get COVID if you can avoid it, and then vaccines and so forth. Um, so that's the advice out there, uh, you know, for someone that wants to know how that works. I will tell you that statistically speaking, uh, with Delta due to the r not value, it's called uh, it's not a matter of if, but when you and everybody else out there experiences Delta. This is not, uh, this apparently is no longer a question of if, but when. So how prepared are you? It's up to you. Okay, so let's go on to the next one, which is why aren't they, or natural immunity, your natural immunity to, to should be talking about boosting that and supporting that, and why aren't we doing a better job of that? Well, that is a good question. It's a very fair question. I have my thoughts on why, but it's it's rather just, sorry, my shirt is binding on me. Uh, I have some thoughts on that. I don't think we can, we really can't cover it. I think what we just have to cover briefly is um, what what to do. So, you know, how to sort of boost in a nutshell. Again, I'm, I'm going to put some, some links below for people that want to get into it. So literally from a statistical point of view, the number one thing you can do for your natural immunity to, to have a mild case of COVID versus a serious case of COVID is don't be fat. Seriously, don't be fat, okay? Um, that has been consistently in the data that the people that get themselves into serious trouble, hospitalizations, intubated, long-term COVID, uh, you know, organ damage, death, what have you, is people that are obese uh, and 
of course, related. And these are people, these aren't diabetics. These aren't people with any other comorbidity other than just being obese uh, or carrying some obesity is a medical term. It sounds obviously kind of awful to people, but a specific BMI uh, level. Now, this is not news. You know, look, everybody listening to this, you, you know, we've had over a year to know this. So you've all know this. This has been uh, certainly hasn't been hidden by the media or anybody else. And you, everybody out there has had a year plus to work on that. And if there was one thing you, you could have done to lower your chances of, of, of serious complications from COVID, would have been working on losing weight. Uh, now, I understand it's easier said than done. I understand that in this COVID uh, situation, um, being stuck in your house and all that is, if anything, the opposite has happened, which is people have gained weight, very dangerous precedent, something we could talk about, you know, another time. Um, but why is that? So, uh, a paper, this is not news, honestly. I mean, but here, here let, let's, I'm going to, I'm going to bring in a paper that, uh, was up, just came out, uh, recently called uh, understanding the link between obesity and severe COVID-19 outcomes. Uh, causal mediation by systemic inflammatory response. So what does that fancy title mean? So basically, obesity, uh, carrying extra body fat, is in itself inflammatory. Uh, it, the people that are, you know, carry more and more extra body fat, and this has been known a long time. This is there's nothing new here. Um, tend to have higher levels of of uh, inflammatory markers such as CRP, uh, TNF alpha, and others. This is not new. And as people may be aware, when you talk about things like cytokine storm and what have you, um, that is, an, that is a, your inflammation, a, a runaway inflammatory response. Now, there is the reason for that um, is due to something, I think, personally, due to something called um, reactive oxygen species, ROS, which I will link my, my major article below, uh, video. And I think controlling that is a key, if not the key to all of it. But uh, so far, I've been pretty much a lone voice in that. So, and that's frustrating me too, because, you know, I was hoping after a year after mentioning this, that uh, others would catch on. Um, so far, I'm not, I'm not seeing it. So anyway, so people that carry additional body fat, let's say, you know, uh, people that are clinically obese and so forth, um, they're, they, they are what, what we would refer to as have a subclinical um, inflama inflammation. Um, and they're just slightly more inflamed, but chronically so than other people. And so what does that mean if you get COVID? Well, what it basically means in a nutshell is that if, if you're already closer to, to having an elevated uh, inflammatory systemic inflammation, you don't have as far to go or that far to go until it's you're in a hyperinflammatory state. You have a, 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 a much shorter distance to go. And that's obviously not exactly scientific um, as far as explanation, things like, you know, mechanisms and all that. But I think the basic thing to wrap your mind around is that obesity uh, and not in including now that's one comorbidity, but it's a big one. Uh, if you add other comorbidities such as uh, obesity related uh, stuff, such as uh, diabetes, uh, heart disease, of course, is, you know, a known comorbidity. Now aging, which of course you don't have any control over and some other things, a number of other things, asthma and so forth. Uh, when you add those, you know, to that, you are putting yourself behind the, the eight ball and have a very uh, elevated chance of getting yourself in serious trouble. So that's like straight, you know, a straight one and easy to explain one. Again, I'm not going to say it's easy to do. It's easier said than done. I understand that because I, again, have worked uh, with people for almost 30 years on, on weight loss and 
Uh, healthy weight loss, that's another topic, of course. But look, that is, if there's something you want to do, if you want to keep talking about natural immunity, on uh, how, you know, what can we do to to bolster our, our natural immunity against uh, serious complications? Uh, yeah, that's, that's a big one. Uh, you know, subclinical uh, inflammation is bad. You don't want that. Okay, so I'm going to take this paper out. Um, well, actually, you know, I guess we can go through it, but I'll, I'll again, I will link it below this video so you don't have to read it. But, you know, basically uh, under conclusions, um, finding support systemic inflammation pathways and obesity associated with severe COVID disease, particularly in patients over 65, which makes sense because that's an additional comorbidity, uh, captured by CRP uh, and ESR. So CRP is a... Um, C-reactive protein, it's a good general indicator of systemic inflammation. It's not a, a good uh, or, or it's, it's not a particularly um, targeted um, uh, pathway of inflammation. It's really a, a general indicator. And then you can look at uh, specific things like IL-6 and um, TNF-alpha and so forth. So keep that in mind. And this is nothing new. I mean, I, I'm not even frankly sure why they even had to do this paper. This is kind of a uh, a no duh paper to be honest with you, but um, there it is. I mean, I'll post it for you and you can look at it. So, all right, so that's number one. Uh, other things you can do would be, of course, to take uh, specific supplements, um, which I will list, I list in my article. Uh, I, I think that's a no brainer, of course. And there are some that are definitely more specific than others. Of course, some people know C and of course D uh, zinc, uh, magnesium is an important one indirectly, uh, knack or whey. Uh, there is some debate there as to which is better. I honestly take both. Uh, and there's a whole list. There's a long, long list of supplements you can take. Those are the basics as far as I'm concerned. I mean, if you're not taking those right now, you're doing it wrong. And, and that's, that is honestly my, my opinion. There's a bunch of others that I take and other people take that I will list to. Uh, there's various, uh, um, uh, herbal things. There's uh, a number of, of, of natural things like quercetin and so forth. So that's a long list that you can decide how much of that you're willing to take and how much money you want to spend and all that, um, how much data is available to support them. But that would be an obvious one. Uh, the other one is exercise. Now, I know that when people hear exercise, some people, you know, not all of us, but a lot of people will hear this and go, oh, yeah, exercise, of course, is good. For you. We know that. Uh, you know, sure, sure. Uh, but it's it's not just that. It's very specific. There has been a, a couple of studies that came out that actually found that intense intermittent exercise was very effective at boosting the, the specific areas and arms of the immune system, again, that tend to fight, uh, that will fight COVID and other um, viral infections. And regular exercise is, of course, uh, a must for everything. We all know that. But if you want to actually do something, you know, make some steps forward and say, okay, I want to reduce my risk as much as I can, you know, within my power. Um, you know, again, regular exercise is a must. Uh, stress reduction courses, you know, again, that's a really big one, sort of under, under, re, I say undervalued, but underappreciated. There's what I'm looking for. Uh, because, of course, again, chronic stress leads to chronic cortisol. Uh, chronic cortisol is immune suppressive. Um, it causes, you know, of course, elevated and you know, elevation, things like triglycerides, blood pressure, and so forth. So um, that's something that, again, that we have to take time out. You have to take time out to actually put some time aside and, and work on, you know, stress reduction. And, and, you know, whether that's, you know, breathing, mindful meditation, taking a walk with your dog, you know, what have you, you, you got to find what that is. But 
uh, it's legit uh, and it's big. Uh, it's a big one. And again, there's this is not this is not uh, crystal hocus pocus um, astrology stuff. This is this is science. This is this is hard data. Um, mindful meditation is a big one of which there are some some really good uh, really good studies there. So those are some of the things. Obviously, you know, nutrition always plays a big role, but um, I, I kind of feel like that that's a, a no brainer. Uh, there are, of course, some medications that you can look into. I, I don't want to cover that here um, because I, I, when you start talking about medications, uh, you really have to be careful. And of course, there's you know contraindications. There is um, there can be conflicts with, with medications. You're of course you know taking chances by mentioning those. Um, and I want to get into you know the more controversial stuff. You know, uh, I don't know if ivermectin. Hopefully, that doesn't get me pinged. And finally. And last but not least, um, getting vaccinated. Uh, if you know, we're, if you don't want to get vaccinated, you know that's that's on you, and uh, that's your choice. Uh, I, you know, I, I talk about that in other videos. Um, if you do all the other things that I, I mentioned prior to this, and you really follow through with it, um, and you don't have comorbidities and stuff, then you are potentially, you know, statistically very unlikely to have serious problems. You, you should be fine. However, again, I, I will say that in my little circle of people, uh, whether I just happen to, you know, un, by sheer coincidence, know these people and it doesn't happen outside my, my um, uh, circle, or it's just more common than we realize, especially with Delta, uh, those people that I mentioned before, these, these were healthy people. These were active people. These were, you know, people that are in the gym. These are people that were doing, I think, pretty much what I was talking about. Um, all of them under 60 uh, and so forth who got uh, really ill, like I say. I mean, one almost died. Uh, I know of at least a few others that were hospitalized, uh, ended up needing oxygen. They were okay, but they are also suffering quite a bit, you know, uh, months later with, with COVID. I mean, I, I, again, I don't think people understand that uh, it's not an on-off switch. Okay, you, you know, for a lot of people out there, a, a high percent uh, are dealing with, you know, long COVID, and it's, it's real. Long COVID's real. How long does long COVID last? We don't know, uh, but I can tell you, you don't want it. Um, so I, I won't get too deep into the the um, controversial type thing of vaccines. Uh, I will say for the record that I'm vaccinated. Um, I, I, you know, again, I, I'm pretty good with data and um, understanding, you know, where that is. And I'm a risk to benefit guy. I'm going to make the the objective risk to benefit assessment of what are my risks doing this versus that. And I'm going to make, and I'm going to, you know, make a, a choice on that. Um, I recommend others do who can, uh, but I will tell you again, for the record, we will not vaccinate our way out of this. Okay. This is not, the, it's not a cure. It's not how we, uh, it is the way it is a way it will help us go from what they call a pandemic to an endemic, an endemic state. That is that, that COVID will be sort of a background uh, less, uh, less dangerous virus at some point. Uh, hopefully that's coming sooner than later. But, you know, again, you have to think of it more like the flu, which the flu is endemic. It's not pandemic. There are, though there have, of course, been flu pandemics. And um, But we are, the way that we really get out of this on individual level, especially, is everything I'm talking about, which is taking good care of yourself, taking the right supplements, exercising, eating well, um, and focusing on, on, you know, taking best care of yourself overall and reducing your your comorbidity, uh, you know, uh, um, aspect of which you have control over. Some of the things you do not have control over, you don't have, people don't have control over their age, they don't have control over 
Um, you know, if they're dealing with cancer and their immune system is suppressed, they don't have c control over a lot of things. And for those people, obviously, they're high risk and they obviously should be vaccinated without question. So there's my answer. I hoped everything. I hope I answered the difference between um, uh, vaccine derived immunity versus, quote unquote, natural inherent immunity that, that we have some control over. Uh, don't lock onto uh, immune derived um immunity just yet. Again, there's a lot of moving parts as to what that really means and what that doesn't mean uh, in long term and how protective that is and so forth. So uh, I think that's it. Um, I'm going to jump off and uh, I will leave for those that have a lot of questions. I'm sure this this raised as many questions as it did answers for some people. And uh, hopefully the extensive resources I will leave below this will do the trick for you. So that's it for now. And I'll see you guys uh, on the brink zone.